This is the S50. Hello world, this is the CS50 Podcast. My name is David Malin, and I'm here again with CS50's own Brian Yu. Good to be back. So in the news of late has been this app for iOS and Android called Face App, as some of you might have heard. Uh, Brian, have you used this app before? Uh, so people keep talking about this. I don't have it myself on my phone, but one of our teaching fellows for CS50 does have it and was actually showing it to me earlier today. It's kind of scary what it can do. So the way it seems to work is that you open up the app on your phone and you can choose a photo of yourself from your photo library, a photo of you or a friend, and you submit it. And then you can apply any number of these different image filters to it effectively, but they can do a variety of different things. So they can show you like what they think you would look like when you were older and show you like an elderly version of yourself or what you looked like when you were younger. They can change your hairstyle. They can do all sorts of different things to the background of the image, for instance. So they it's a pretty powerful image tool, and it does a pretty good job of trying to create a real looking photo. Yeah, it's striking. And I kind of discovered this app like two years after everyone else did, it seems, because someone sent me a modified photo of myself recently, whereby I was aged in the photo. And it was amazing. Like it, the, the, the realism of the skin I thought was compelling. And what was most striking to me, so much so that I forwarded it to a couple of relatives afterward, is that I look like a couple of my older relatives do in reality. And it was fascinating to sort of see that the app was seeing these familial traits in myself that even I don't see when I look in the mirror right now, but apparently if you age me and you make my skin a different uh, texture over time, like, oh my God, I'm gonna actually look like some of my relatives, it seems. Yeah, it's incredible what the app can do that like a human trying to do this type of thing on their own might not be able to do at all. And I think that really just speaks to how powerful machine learning has gotten at this point. That this, These machines have been trained to look at these huge data sets of analyzing younger and older pictures probably and trying to understand fundamentally how you translate one younger photo to an older photo. And now mm -hmm. they've just gotten really good at being able to do that in a way that humans on their own never would have been able to. So this is then related to our recent chat about machine learning more generally, where I assume the training data in this case is just lots and lots and lots of photos of people young and old and of all sorts? Yeah, that would be my guess. So FaceApp doesn't publicly announce exactly how their algorithm is working. Uh, but I would imagine that it's probably just a lot of training data where you give the algorithm a whole bunch of younger photos and older photos, and you try and train the algorithm to be able to figure out how to turn the younger photo into the older photo, such that you can give it a new younger photo as input and have it predict what the older photo is going to look like. It's amazing. I mean, it's really quite fascinating, too, to sort of allow people to imagine what they might look like in different clothes, or I suppose with different makeup on or so forth. Like computers can do so much of this, but it's actually quite scary too, because a corollary of being able to mutate people's faces in this way digitally is that you can surely identify people as well. And I think that's one of the topics that's been getting a lot of attention here, certainly in the US, whereby a few cities most recently have actually outlawed outright uh, the police's use of facial recognition to bring in suspects. For instance, Somerville, Massachusetts, which is right around the corner from Cambridge, Massachusetts here did this. And I mean, that's actually the sort of flip side of the, the cool factor. I mean, honestly, I was pretty caught up in it when I received this photo of myself some 20, 30, 40 years down the road, sent it along happily to some other people and then didn't really stop to think until a few days later when I started reading about FaceApp and the implications thereof that actually this really does forebode a, a scary future where all too easily can computers and whatever humans own them pick us out in the crowd or track really in the extreme your every movement. I mean, is, is do you think that 
policy is really the only solution to this? So I think that certainly technology is going to get good enough that facial recognition is going to keep getting better because it's already really, really good. And I know this from whenever photos get posted on Facebook and like I'm in the background corner of a very small part of the image, Facebook pretty immediately is able to tell me like, oh, that's me in the photo when I don't even know if I would have noticed I myself. I know, even when it just seems to be like a few pixels off to the side. Yeah. So technology is certainly not going to be the factor that holds anyone back when it comes to facial recognition. So if a city sort of wants to protect itself against the potential implications of this, uh, then I think policy is probably the only way to do it. Though it seems like the third city that most recently banned facial recognition in the city is Oakland. Uh, and it looks like their main concern is the misidentification of individuals and how that might lead to like the misuse of force, for example. And certainly facial recognition technology is not perfect right now, but it is getting better and better. So I can understand why more and more people might feel like they could begin to rely on it, even though it's not 100% accurate and may never be 100% accurate. But that too, in and of itself, seems worrisome because if towns or cities are starting to ban it on the basis of the chance of misidentification, surely the technology, as you say, is only going to get better and better and better. And so that argument, you would think, is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker because, I mean, even just a few years ago, it was Facebook, you noted, claiming that they could identify humans in photos with an accuracy, correct me if I'm wrong, of 97.25%, whereas humans, when trying to identify other humans in photos, had an accuracy level of 97.5%. So like almost exactly the same statistics. So at that point, if the software is just as good, if not better than humans own identification, it seems like a, a weak um, foundation on which to ban the technology. And really, our statement should be stronger than just, oh, there's this risk of misidentification, but rather this is not something we want societally, no? Yeah, I think that especially now that facial recognition technology has gotten better and that the, when the Facebook did that study, I think that was back in 2014 or so. Mm -hmm. So I would guess that Facebook's facial recognition abilities have gotten even better than that over the course of the past five years or so. So facial recognition is probably better when a computer is doing it than when humans are doing it by now, or at least close to as good. And so given that, I do think that uh, when it comes to trying to decide on how we want to shape the policies in our society, that we should not just be looking at how accurate these things are, but also looking at like what kind of technologies do we want to be playing a role in our policing system yeah. and in the way that the society runs and the rules there. And I imagine this is going to play out differently in different countries. And I feel like you've already seen evidence of this if you travel internationally because customs agencies in a lot of countries are already photographing, even with those like silly little webcams when you swipe your passport and, and sign into a country, they've been logging people's comings and going for some time. So really the technology is just facilitating all the more of that and tracking. I mean, in the UK for years, they've been known as having hundreds, thousands of CCTVs, closed circuit televisions, which I believe historically were used really for monitoring either in real time or after the fact based on recordings. But now you can imagine software just scouring a city almost like a Batman. I was just watching, I think, The Dark Knight the other day where Bruce Wayne is able to like oversee everything going on in Gotham or listen in, in that case, by his people's cell phones. It just feels like we're all too close to the point where you could do a Google search for someone essentially on Google Maps and find where they are because there's so many cameras watching. Yeah, and so those privacy concerns, I think, are part of what this whole recent controversy has been with facial recognition and FaceApp. And in particular with FaceApp, the worry has been that when FaceApp is like running these 
these filters to take your face and modify it to be some different face. It's not just a program that's running on your phone to be able to do that sort of yeah. thing. It's that you've taken a photo and that photo is being uploaded to FaceApp servers and now your photo is on the internet somewhere and potentially it could stay there and be used for other purposes and who knows what might happen to it. Yeah, I mean, you and, and some other people on the internet dug into the privacy policy that FaceApp has. And if we read just a few sentences here, one of the sections in the uh, terms of service are that you grant FaceApp consent to use the user consent, user content, regardless of whether it includes an individual's name, likeness, voice, or persona sufficient to indicate the individual's identity. By using the services, you agree that the user content may be used for commercial purposes, you further acknowledge that FaceApp's use of the user content for commercial purposes will not result in any injury to you or any other person you authorize to act on your behalf and so forth. So you essentially are turning over your facial property and any photos thereof to other people. And in my case, it wasn't even me who opted into this. It was someone else who uploaded my photo. And at the time, I perhaps didn't take enough offense or concern. But that too is an issue, uh, ever more so when folks are using services like this, not to mention Facebook and other social media apps, and are actually providing not only their photos, but here is my name, here is my birth date, here are photos from what I did yesterday, and God knows how much more information about you. I mean, we've all sort of tragically opted into this under the guise of, oh, this is great, we're being social with other people online, when really we're providing a lot of companies with treasure troves of information about us, and now governmental agencies seem to be hopping on board as well. Yeah, Facebook especially. It's just sort of scary how much they know about exactly who you are and what your internet browsing habits are like. Like It's all too often that I'll be like reading about something on the internet that I might be interested in purchasing, and all of a sudden I go and check Facebook, and there's an advertisement for the very thing yeah. that I was just thinking about purchasing because Facebook has their cookies installed on so many websites that are just tracking every website you visit, and they can link that back to you and know exactly what you've been doing. Yeah, no, and I, I was thinking that the other day because I was seeing ads for something that I actually went ahead and bought from some website. I don't even remember what it was, but I was actually annoyed that the technology wasn't smart enough to sort of opt me out of those same adverts once I had actually completed the transaction. But you know, I was thinking too, because just yesterday I was walking back to the office and I passed someone who I was for a moment super sure that I knew, but I wasn't 100% confident. So I kind of kept walking and then I felt guilty. And so I turned around because I didn't want to just walk past someone without saying hello. But then when I saw him a second time, nope, it still wasn't the person I thought it was, but I had that hesitation and I couldn't help but think, uh, now in, in hearing these statistics that Facebook and real humans are on uh, statistically 97% good at detecting faces, that was my 3% yesterday. Like out of 100 people, he was one of the three people in this week that I'm going to fail to recognize. And it really kind of put this into perspective because while you might think that humans are perfect and it's the machines that are trying to catch up, it feels like sometimes it's the machines that are already catching up and case in point, there was my own mistake. Yeah, and when machine learning algorithms like facial recognition, but machine learning more generally are trained, humans are often the baseline that like computers are striving to match in terms of performance, where you try and have a human perform some sort of task of trying to label images or documents or the like, and then you give the same task to the computer and see you know, how accurately does the computer match up with the human's yeah. task, with the goal being like how human can we get the computer to be. But there are certain tasks where you could actually imagine cases where the computer can get better. And facial recognition is one of those cases where I feel like eventually, if not already, it could be better than humans. I think self-driving cars is another example, which we've talked about before, where there's a lot of potential for cars to be better when they're being driven by computers and when they're being driven by people. But I think that's an interesting one because it's hard for people, I think, to 
rationally acknowledge that, right? Because I feel like you read all the time about a self-driving car that's been involved in an accident because this seems to be evidence among some minds of like, this is why we shouldn't have self-driving cars. Yet I'm guessing we're nearing the point, if we're not there already, where it is humans who are crashing their cars far more frequently than these computers. And so we sort of need to appreciate that, yes, the machines are going to make mistakes. And in the worst extreme case, God forbid, a a computer, a machine might actually hit and, and hurt someone or kill someone. But that's the same reality in our human world. And it's perhaps a net positive if machines get to get to the point of being at least better than we humans. Of course, in facial recognition, that could actually mean adversarially for humans that they're being detected, they're being monitored far more commonly. So it almost seems like these trends in machine learning are both for for good and for, for bad. I mean, even FaceApp, a couple of years ago, apparently, and I only realized this by reading up on some of the recent press, it's now gotten again. I mean, even they got themselves into some touchy social waters when it came to some of the filters they rolled out. Apparently a couple years ago, they had like a hot filter, which was supposed to make you look prettier in your photos. The catch is that for many people, this was apparently exhibiting patterns like lightening skin tone, thereby invoking some racial undertones as to what defines beauty. And they even had more explicit filters, I gather, a couple years ago, where you could actually change your own ethnicity, which did not go over well either. And so those features have since been removed. But that doesn't change the fact that we are at the point technologically where computers can do this and are probably poised to do it even better for better or for worse. And so again, it seems to boil down to then how we humans decide proactively or worse reactively to kind of put limits on these technologies or or re- restrain ourselves from actually using them. Yeah, I think that's one of the big challenges for societies and governments, especially right at this point in time, is catching up with technology, where technology is really moving fast and every year is capable of more things than the year before. And that's expanding the horizon on what computers can do. And I think it's really uh, incumbent upon society to be able to figure out like, okay, what things should this computers be able to do and placing those appropriate limits earlier rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's not just photos, right? Because there's been in the press over the past year or two, this notion of deep fake videos as well, whereby using machine learning and algorithms, you feed these algorithms lots of training data, like lots of videos of you teaching or talking or walking and moving and so forth. And out of that learning process can come a synthesized video of you saying something, moving something, doing something that you never actually said or did or moved. And a couple of clips gained a decent amount of notoriety some months ago because someone did this, for instance, for for President Obama in the US. In fact, do you wanna go ahead and play the clip of this deep fake? So there is a video component too, but what you're about to hear is not Obama, much as it sounds like him. Yeah, sure. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time, even if they would never say those things. So, uh, for instance, they could have me say things like, uh, I don't know, uh, Killmonger was right, or uh, Ben Carson is in the sunken place, or how about this, simply, President Trump is a total and complete dipshit. Now. You see, I would never say these things, at least not in a public address, but someone else would. Someone like Jordan Peele. This is a dangerous time. Moving forward, we need to be more vigilant with what we trust from the internet. 
That's a time when we need to rely on trusted news sources. It may sound basic, but how we move forward in the age of information is going to be the difference between whether we survive or whether we become some kind of fucked up dystopia. Thank you. And stay woke, bitches. So if you're familiar with Obama's voice, this probably sounds quite like him, but maybe not exactly. It might sound a bit more like an Obama impersonator, but honestly, if we just wait a year or two or more, I bet these deep fake impressions of actual humans are going to become indistinguishable from the actual humans themselves. And in fact, it's perhaps all too appropriate that this just happened on uh, Facebook or more specifically on Instagram recently where Facebook's own Mark Zuckerberg was deep faked via a video. Should we go ahead and have a listen? to that too? Imagine this for a second. One man with total control of billions of people's stolen data, all their secrets, their lives, their futures. I owe it all to Spectre. Spectre showed me that whoever controls the data controls the future. So there too, doesn't sound perfectly like Mark Zuckerberg, but if you were to watch the video online and if you go ahead indeed and Google uh, President Obama deepfake and Mark Zuckerberg deepfake, odds are you'll find your way to these very same videos and actually see the mouth movements and the facial movements that are synthesized by the computer as well. That too is only going to get better. And you know, I wonder, you can certainly use this technology all too obviously for evil, to literally put words in someone's mouth that they never said but they seem to be saying in a way that's far more persuasive than just misquoting someone in the world of text or uh, synthesizing someone's voice, as seems to happen often in TVs and movie shows, but doing it even more compellingly because people are all the more inclined, I would think, to believe not only what they hear or read, but what they see as well. But you could imagine maybe even using this technology for good. Uh, you and I, for instance, spend a lot of time preparing to teach classes on video, for instance, that don't necessarily have students there physically because we do it in a studio environment. So I wonder, to be honest, if you give us a couple of years' time and and feed enough recordings of us now in the present to computers of the future, could they actually synthesize you teaching a class or me teaching a class and have the voice sound right, have the words sound right, have the facial and the physical movements look right, so much so that you and I down the road could just write a script for what it is that we want to say or what it is we want to teach and just let the computer take it to the, the final mile. That's a scary thought and be out of a job. <laughs> uh, well, someone's got to write the content, although surely if we just feed the algorithms enough words that we've previously said, you could imagine, oh, just go synthesize what it is my thoughts would be on this topic. I don't know. I mean, there's some actually interesting applications of this, at least if you uh, disclaim to the audience, for instance, that this is indeed synthesized um, and not the actual Brian or the actual David. But if you're a fan of Black Mirror, the TV show that's been popular for a few years now on Netflix, there's actually in the most recent season, no spoilers here, but in the most recent season uh, starring Miley Cyrus and the rest of the cast actually touch on this very subject and use, though they don't identify it by name, this notion of deep faking when it comes to videos. Yeah, it's a very interesting technology for sure. And like these videos of Mark Zuckerberg and Obama, certainly you can tell if you're watching and paying attention closely that there's certain things that don't look or don't feel quite right. But I would be very curious to see like 
a, a Turing test of sorts on this type of thing where you mm. ask someone to be able to like look at two videos and figure out like which one is the actual Obama and which one is the actual Mark Zuckerberg. I guess that on these videos, most people would probably do a pretty good job, but I don't think it'd be 100%. But I would be very curious to see year after year how that rate would change. And as these technologies get better, as people become less able to be able to distinguish to the point where it'd just be a 50-50 shot as to which one is the fake. Yeah, and especially when it's not just celebrities, but it's a person you've never met and you were seeing them or quote unquote them for the first time on video, I bet it would be even harder for a lot of folks to distinguish someone for whom they don't have just ample press clippings in their in their memory of having seen them or heard them before. So what do you think in the short term, because this problem only seems to get scarier and worse down the road, like, is there anything people like you and I and anyone else out there can actually do to protect themselves against this, this trending, if you will? So I think one of the important things is just being aware of it and being mindful of it and being on the lookout for it as it comes up, because certainly there's nothing we can really do to stop people from generating content like this and generating fake audio recordings or video recordings. Uh, but I think that if people look at something and, and it's potentially a fake video and you just take it at face value as accurate, uh, then that's a potentially dangerous thing. But encouraging people to take a second look at things, to be able to look a little more deeply, try and find the primary sources, that's probably a, a way to mitigate it. But even then, like the ultimate primary source is the actual person doing the mm. speaking. So if you can simulate that, then uh, even that's not a perfect solution. So is it fair to say maybe that the biggest takeaway here, certainly educationally, would be just critical thinking and seeing, hearing something and deciding for yourself evaluatively if this is some source I should believe. Yeah, I'd say so. And you should probably stop uploading photos of yourself to Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and the like. Well, that's a good question. Like, should you stop uploading photos to Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat? I mean, like, certainly there's a lot of positive value for that. Like, my family always loves it when they see photos of me on Facebook. And maybe is that worth the trade-off of my photos living now in a being state. online? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, in to one, to some extent, like the cat is out of the bag. There's already hundreds of photos, I'm guessing, of me out there online, whether it's in social media or other people's accounts that I don't even know about, for instance, because I w just wasn't tagged in there. Um, but I would think that that's really the only way to stay off the grid is not to at least participate in this media. But again, especially in the UK and other cities and, and surely other locations here in the US, you can't even go outside anymore without being picked up by one or more cameras, whether it's in an ATM uh, at a bank or whether it's a street view camera. Uh, up above or literally street view. I mean, there are cars driving around taking pictures of everything they see. And at least companies like Google have tended to be in the habit of blurring out faces. They still have those faces somewhere in their archives. Yeah, I was actually just grocery shopping at Trader Joe's the other day and I was walking outside and Apple Maps car drove by with all their cameras that were looking around and taking photos of the street. I so. saw one recently too, but their cars are not nearly as cool as Google's. I've are. never seen a Google car in person. Oh but. yeah, no, I've seen them from time to time. They're much better painted and branded. Mm -hmm. Apple's look like someone who just kind of set it up on top of their own car. <laughs> well, and on that note, um, please do keep the, the topics of interest coming. Feel free to drop me and Brian a note at podcast at cs50.harvard.edu if you have any questions or ideas for next episodes. But in the meantime, if you haven't yourself seen or tried out FaceApp, don't necessarily go and rush and download and install this app. That was not intended to be our takeaway, but be mindful of it. And certainly if you just Google FaceApp on uh, Google Images or the like, you can actually see some examples of just how compelling or how frightening the technology is. So it's out there.
This then was the CS50 Podcast. My name is David Malin. I'm Brian Yu. See you all next time.